0: Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh, and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility podcast. All right. After a very long summer break, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility podcast. And today my guest is Alex Kirn of Inverse. Welcome, Alex.
1: Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Happy New Year. It's the beginning of the year, beginning of 2023. Not an easy time in shared mobility. You are one of really the pioneers, I would say. Of course, when we are going to talk about the company, company companies even older than that, the real pioneer of connecting vehicles, of connecting cars to enable car sharing was invented by the founder of Inverse, by your company several decades ago. And now you have a massive fleet under management, basically. And as a person, your activities extend beyond inverse. and We're going to also talk about this a little bit and products that you are bringing that are so relevant for the market now to finally reach profitability as an operator and that you're also integrating into the inverse suite. How would you describe the state of the market beginning of 2023 and knowing many years before already?
1: Yeah, I um, say if we look primarily at car sharing, we see strong growth. And so for the last Two years, obviously, vehicle availability has been a challenge, but I think this is now going to ease. So we are looking, yeah, forward to this year, and yeah, also see a lot of innovation happening that I think will also solve the profitability question. I think there's, yeah, innovation needed, and yeah, I think the the outlook for for car sharing or shared mobility, I think it continues to be a uh, a secular growth trend that that uh, we make continued progress, but it's still very early. Uh, even after, as you said, decades have been, we have been in the business for decades. It's still at the very beginning, at least it, it feels like that.
0: That is unusual to say that the company is decades old. Can you talk a bit more for anyone who might not have Inverse on the radar yet? I guess many people in shared mobility do. But what is what is the product you're providing? Where did where did the company originally come from?
1: Yeah, so the company was started in, in 1993 already. So it's really this year, actually, our 30th anniversary. And it was started with uh, how to make car sharing better and how to make uh, car sharing with technology. Car sharing already existed at this time, but usually you had a key locker and you... You took the key from there, but Uwe Large, the founder and, and still our, our CTO, he's an avid cyclist and he wanted to bike most of the time. So he didn't really see the reason why to put all his money in buying a car, but occasionally he wanted to use a car. So he thought, well, why can't I build a technology that gives me um, keyless access to a vehicle, but also then records the trips and allocates the costs properly to to all the users he initially wanted to build his own car sharing offering in segan but vegan is a city quite dispersed with a lot of hills. So it was a challenge and so he decided as an electrical engineer he quit his phd program at the time uh, to fully focus on on building this technology and then essentially uh, selling it worldwide and that's what we still do today so we enable the automated rental process with technology, with IoT hardware components and software components, vehicle agnostic. Um, But our main focus are, I would say, four-wheelers, and we also have some two-wheeler categories, which we address with our own telematics and integrate also OEM telematics into our solutions.
0: Mm -hmm. So your product originally was to bring cars into the cloud for a car sharing use case when that wasn't possible yet through a piece of hardware and a piece of software. Since then, you've also launched of course like a version your products called CloudBox now CloudBox mini for micro mobility vehicles, but you also talked about feeding data from OEM APIs basically into into your platform. Can you, on the one hand, tell us about like the scale of all of this? roughly order of magnitude vehicles under management now, maybe even market share in some segment if you want. And then why is that for someone who's not super deep in the topic, useful to to aggregate all these vehicles into one platform and maybe put your software layer on top of the vehicle that is in the cloud already?
1: So in aggregate, we have 125,000 vehicles equipped with, with our technology. It's primarily cars, four-wheelers. And the way we look at it, we enable an automated rental process, and that has multiple dimensions. And we have built our platform in the last few years to become also more or less technology agnostic. So historically, vehicles were not connected. So we needed to put a hardware device into it to enable the basic functionalities. Uh, this is mostly the case still today but we see some applications where vehicles x factory have these capabilities and then we see a benefit to integrating them as opposed to retrofitting a hardware uh, piece into it because then you have less costs oftentimes less complexity installation cost handling etc with so a lot of benefits but the possibilities you have with a dedicated hardware are often greater. So it's, it really depends on the, on the business model that our customers want to do. And we have a platform that allows you to yeah, use different data sources, different methods, and we yeah, encapsulate this complexity that comes with having different data sources, normalize it in one platform. So um, our... Yeah, customers who have developers or partners who provide software can really focus on the customer management, the user interface, and don't need to deal with everything behind and have yeah, more or less a I would say a, a programmable car, no matter the brand or the form factor.
0: If you are able to share this, how would this total fleet size, about 125,000 vehicles you mentioned, break down in use cases? So you're covering, I think a range of use cases not just for example free floating sharing that many people have in mind initially but also rental or subscription cases how does roughly break down
1: yeah that's a good question and we don't um i don't have the exact numbers in my mind i would say where where what our core competence is automating a rental process Mm -hmm. so when when frequent rentals happen that are that need to be fully automated in, in terms of access to the vehicle, in terms of billing, also asset protection, where you also want to enforce that, because especially if you rent a car, it also is quite valuable as an asset. The majority in car sharing, both free-floating and, and station-based, and, and, and this is a trend, and I mean something also we work towards, that these business model boundaries uh, are blurring. So that's I think our what what we can provide is really a yeah a programmable car, and it's more becomes more a software question which model you use. and I think there's a really big benefit and we start seeing this now more and more, that you can increase utilization by combining business models. And I think that is also, and and will be more of a game changer to make these mobility services yeah more profitable, so that as a subscription, the car subscription company, you also temporarily, for instance, enable a peer-to-peer car sharing model or get demand from that. Um, or as a car sharing operator, you combine it with subscription services. And we see early experiments and, and offers that um, that do this. And and a foundation is yeah a technology that allows you to then be be flexible in that regard. You are one of the I
0: would say Maybe, to be fair, a few examples in your company in shared mobility, new mobility topics that already has also found its own profitable business model. Like, just give everyone like a little bit of a feeling maybe for the company you're also um, dealing with and that you've grown in the last um, years. I believe you're, you have like order of magnitude, about 100 people there. It's profitable, right? I don't know if German GMBH, so it's like basically at least historic numbers, somewhat, I'm transparent, it's profitable, constantly growing, a clear product that keeps evolving over time. Most operators are not there yet. Most operators of shareability are not yet profitable. And you alluded to this in the beginning. You had sounded quite confident that big steps could be made. What are the topic areas that you have in mind that you think should be tackled and then kind of a segue also into how your product and other products you're integrating now are enabling that?
1: yeah so i um as as you mentioned i mean inverse has been yeah now around for 30 years and has been also more as a bootstrap company so there was only the option of being profitable and and reinvesting the money that um that was earned and that's how i joined the company in in 2012 and that's what we have continued to do and we are also fortunate that we have a number of customers that are profitable and uh, that have also, but these companies have usually then grown also slower and, and uh, they, I mean, they have different obviously ways to found and, and fund the company. But the companies that are profitable in car sharing, I, I also think about this quite a lot. I mean, they have... Started out with a user base that is very involved and loyal and and responsible with the assets that they are being mm-hmm. uh, that they are using. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also when you have this kind of customer group, much easier to be profitable because you don't have damages that are unassigned and you have oftentimes. I mean, these companies usually have a monthly subscription, so you have also more frequent users and uh, so people know how to use the the offering and i think where where the challenge then comes in when you try to scale this model to everybody essentially and that has happened in, in car sharing i think the yeah, primary step was i would say in 2008 when car2go was founded and really made this uh, a mass product and, and there i think the the challenge and, and the path we we are on is also how can you with technology enable the trust level or enforce also a certain behavior a certain behavior, or spot the people that don't behave correctly because everybody suffers from them it's not only the operator that has, high, high, has higher cost but also the follow-on users that have a product or experience a service that's not with what they want to have and there the data comes uh, a lot into the picture and this i think is is key in in um yeah growing the industry and, and finding ways how To do this.
0: And you mentioned as one example, Car2Go, when they kind of pioneered free-floating sharing. I believe they did that on your technology also. You were the IoT behind that, previously um, station-based pioneer in Germany, but not pioneer, but like to bring it more to the masses, massive rollout, probably Flinkster, Deutsche Bahn, also your IoT behind it. So you've kind of seen them and interacted with them along the way. And not not um, I mean, there were lots of um, turnarounds um, in the industry. And you mentioned fraud as one area, better uh, fraud detection, maybe even uh, kind of a selection of users, trust and safety management. How are you working on this? Practically speaking, what's possible, for example, with your technology today that not everyone's aware of or not not everyone's doing at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a multiple... so. Besides the basic functionality and of enabling this automated rental process that also has a lot of dimensions to it, we have launched in the last few years functionality for doing um, driving analysis. So how is, how is the driving, how is the vehicle being treated? And what we are now uh, launching as a new product is a damage detection service in, in partnership with a company uh, called Carvalu that our, our parent company has has also invested in, and that service helps to locate and and uh, recognize damages with a highly precise sensor. And um, because that's yeah a really big issue, so up to ten percent of revenues, which is a lot, because that oftentimes exceeds the profits in a shared mobility operation, yeah. is being lost by. Yeah, not assign damages. So I would say the the two kind of yeah unfortunate truth in, in shared mobility are don't be gentle it's the rental and don't tell, don't pay. So only I think, yeah, one or two in 10 users are honest and, and actually report the damage that they have done. And um, if you have a completely automated rental process, which is what we enable, you don't know who it was and and as an operator if you want don't want to eat that cost yourself you need to contact a lot of customers which i think is also not the right way to do it because that also creates if i wasn't the causer, i i don't want to be yeah be the be accused being potentially accused of having performed the damage so being able to locate and and allocate these damages is a big I think win and and so we have this technology that um, now has also an accuracy of of up to ninety five percent. I think will will really bring the industry to yeah a much faster path on profitability
0: so let's unpack this. You mentioned in a kind of side note there, only one or two out of ten users might actually be honest to report the damage. So you think eighty to ninety percent of damages go unclaimed, and in the end, the operator has to swallow. And that can represent order of magnitude 10% of their total revenues. So if that could be reduced drastically, maybe sorry, cut in half or more, it's a sizable step towards profitability. And then you talked about, like, there is part of the inverse software solution is a driver analysis, driver behavior analysis that operators could use already to maybe serve as a queue or maybe identify some users. Can you talk a little bit more about this? How are some current customers of yours using that? Do they take that data and make a kind of almost programmatic maybe decision on who gets banned and who is still allowed on the service? Or how actionable is that information, basically?
1: Yeah, at the moment, it's I mean, with, with all of this data, I mean, it was still early, and I think that's where the innovation also starts. I mean, having certain events is only worth something when you actually also do something.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's
1: where then the the processes and and the resources need to align, and I think that's where yeah where you will see more innovation. And at the moment, the the this driving analysis. I mean, it, it, you could make problematic actions. Mm-hmm. Out of it, but at the moment, I would say it's it's mostly used when there was an incident to also have a perspective on what happened and what does the vehicle say that happened when when a user reports something or you have a, a, a damage and gives you more intelligence. And of course, I mean data protection is also important. So this um, is something that that only then comes into play when really a certain event has happened. I mean, that's, All right. that's a different country by country. Mm-hmm. What, what you can do. And uh, it, it, I mean, that's up to our customers how they use it. You could also reward good driving behavior, no speeding, no cornering. You can also identify the few sort of black sheep customers.
0: It seems very uncommon today. Like I can't think of an example where um, that I've experienced, but it doesn't, of course, mean it doesn't exist that an operator would give yeah, feedback to the end user about, Hey, we've seen this or you should be driving differently somehow. You aware of any examples like this or or are we not there yet? Basically that you can, you have this, you make this data available from your telematics or from the car interface, but we're not acting on this yet.
1: And I mean, it's a question that I think, I mean, our customers need to answer how much beneficial also this this driving analysis itself is. I think the assigned the damages solves a much bigger business problem. Yeah. The good driving behavior. I mean, there you could do things, and there have been some experiments. Uh, so I, I remember in the early days, Car 2 Go had a feature where you would see trees growing.
0: I also thought about that. Um, yeah. uh, it's kind um, of a little bit quirky, it, but never seen again since then.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I I think. I mean, at the moment, that's what I'm saying. At the moment, it, it delivers just more contextual information and there, there hasn't been okay. built a, a customer-facing product. And I would say that the main attention is also in, uh, more on, on the damage okay. uh, part.
0: And the product you also mentioned, Carvalu, that you said your parent company. We can talk a little bit more later about this. It's also quite interesting there, but the company that's a shareholder or maybe the main shareholder, I believe, of Inverse also an investor in Carvalu, and their product is a combination of software and hardware sensors that will help the operator be informed immediately of a potential damage correctly. How does that work? Like what kind of sensor? How big or small is that? How easy to integrate? Is anyone already using it? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: So the product uh, that Carvaloo offers, I mean, we got into touch because some of our customers were already using it and were really happy about it. And at the time they needed to install two hardware devices, one for this highly accurate acceleration sensor and the cloud box. So we thought this doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. So let's, and and it's a highly interesting service, uh, so let's, yeah cooperate and, and bring this on, on one device on, and on one cloud box. So,
0: Are you going to yeah. integrate this highly accurate acceleration sensor into the cloud box or it's a kind of second one living next to it and then using the cloud box to relay its information?
1: So it's, um, it, it is integrated in the cloud box. Right. It's an additional yeah, accessory um, of, of the cloud box and then exactly the cloud box is used as the gateway and uh, there's a, a damage management suite in the background where we can then see all the damages and and i think this is really the interesting part also of the solution is this feedback cycle so it's uh, based on, on an artificial intelligent algorithm so it's a self-learning system the more people use it the more accurate it becomes and it it has also the benefits not only the, the the damages that are sort of visible uh, to visualize, but also there are damages that could be safety relevant that are not visible and And this is also a, a new dimension that yeah wasn't wasn't possible.
0: Can you give an example of that? Like a damage that's not that's safety relevant but not visible? I don't
1: Yeah, on the drivetrain or in the under underground uh, of
0: of the vehicle. All
1: oh, right. Okay. Um, where usually nobody in a car sharing setting can check. Yeah. So if it's not reported,
0: that a street runner wouldn't even notice if they come yes. to service the car. And that can all and, and that's all coming. The the signal that it's using is um, the highly sensitive acceleration sensor. And then are you somehow combining this with other vehicle data that the cloud box picks up, or is that Kind of fully independent of the cloud box as well.
1: Yeah, no. There's, uh, and this is obviously. I mean, still also not. I mean, no software is, is fully yeah. <laughs> finished any time. But this is exactly also where we see more potential to give more contextual information to increase the, the precision. But um, the service already. I mean, that's why. I mean, has already delivered quite some benefits to all. Also existing customers that have used it in parallel to the cloud box, but we, we are quite...
0: Uh, Interesting. And yeah. did they quantify that somehow? Like existing operators who've used this? You said previously maybe 89% of damages go unclaimed at first, but then what part of that were they able to pick up in this way?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you it's not 100% of the... Of the damages, um, and then sometimes you have customers that don't pay and can't pay, and so the recovery rate is definitely lower. Um, I don't have the exact number on top of my head, but the solution pays for itself very quickly. So in yeah. one to two months, you have it have it recovered. There's not. I mean, in many cases, the or I mean, or put it differently, with 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 one damage, that the system pays for itself. Yes, and, and they, uh there is yeah every three months or so at least there is a damage on a on a car selling
0: vehicle. Yeah, costing an average of roughly ballpark a hundred euros per car per month in like unclaimed damages probably right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's super fascinating. So it's only one dimension of like trust and safety in a way, the other is like the fraud maybe taking the trip and then the payment method's no longer valid by the time you charge it and these kind of patterns, but the damages on the car that are unclaimed is definitely um, a big one. So this is super interesting. If you don't mind, if we could take like switch gears a little bit, come from the kind of also, you know, operations perspective, what these products are doing to kind of the entrepreneurial perspective because this is highly interesting in your case. Most of the People that we talk to also on the podcast either it's of course captives who are now in the business or kind of newly funded companies and you took I believe a different route that's rather un- uncommon in in Europe at least, but super interesting so you mentioned there was an original founder over large of this technology he's a technologist and you basically initiated I believe a search fund around the mobility topic that's Called Fleet Technology, right? The company, and basically set out to invest in and then also manage and help grow a company in the space. How did this come about? Did you have Inverse even in mind when you created that search company from the beginning, or was this more a topic area? And then you were looking who could most benefit from it?
1: Yeah, I started actually looking. So my primary motivation was to become CEO of a company that I could also buy and then grow and um, in an area where technology is important. So I was I was open and at the time I didn't dare to find something in mobility, frankly, so I probably would could have also ended up in in another area where technology is important. But I was in this was in and I started the, the search in 2009 and in 2000. In 11, I had identified Inverse. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. from somebody outside of the industry. It's actually not that easy, especially at the time, to identify Inverse. And the way I found it was I was a car-sharing user in Munich with Blinkster. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a new kit on the block. It was called 60 called uh, sixty Car Club by 6th. And uh, so I've, I, I saw, well, they, they use a similar technology. And at the time, I had thought everybody builds this themselves. And then that way I found, okay, there must be a supplier to this industry. That's interesting. And then I reached out. I actually wrote a letter to Uwe Lahatsch, sure. And I think also bringing across my enthusiasm for it. And it yeah, was, was, I think, the right time and, and situation. For that. Yeah, a good half year later, I had my first day as, as the new owner and, and CEO of Inverse. And also sister company LabID. So he had founded two companies. And so my um, yeah, search that uh, for a company uh, fortunately led me to Inverse and to the mobility industry.
0: So you basically created a spec. Uh, <laughs> like this became a big topic two years ago, but uh, you did it way back. Um, micro, micro spec. A micro spec <laughs> with uh, investors behind it, but not a, not a target initially and then mm-hmm. researched and then found this company, which had this interesting position that you knew you could grow more and have been doing um, since then. And I believe the same uh, fund, do you call it a fund or, or I don't know, vehicle? is <laughs> yeah, you know, now also it's... invested in Carvalu that we mentioned earlier, that you, you see the synergies with the problem that you are aware of from your customer base that mm-hmm. you can integrate into the product. It's highly interesting. And with the intention, Two, because either we have captives, typical model, either we have captives or we have VCs who have a term on their fund lifetime and of course want to pump in money to make it quick, fast, and then hopefully sell or write, write it off. But that background probably in your case is quite different. The intention is to take, to grow and own profitably, right?
1: Exactly. So the, the primary motivation for me to do this the search for a that route to entrepreneurship was well, i I didn't have the great idea as a founder. I mean that would have been my alternative, um, but was to to run a company and, and and not to run a company and sell it. And yeah, I've now found that that place that I really like, and um, I'm still not that old that i I, sh- I should retire, so um yeah, I, I just want to continue growing it and this is also something that in um yeah the search fund, even though it's it's, it's called a fund that applies maybe to some extent it has a an end date in the search fund. it's not really the case. So the, the, the most successful yeah. search fund in the in, in, in the US is, is still run by the person that originally did it and that was already wow. three years ago. And we now with fleet technology have I would say, identified two fields. One is enabling automated rental processes, sort of mobility tech for inverse. Also, Carvalho falls into that um, category. And the second one is, is lab ideas, uh, compliance technology for corporate fleets. These two sort of platforms we have, and we want to primarily grow organically, but also with collaborations and, and corporations, investments.
0: When you take such a strategic perspective to the market, I mean, it's no surprise when you <laughs> read up on your background, basically, um, St. Gallen and then Harvard MBA. I think you're like, really thinking about the model before rushing into actions? You are also publishing as inverse, like an outlook on the market and like trends for this year. What are the top five trends and so on? Can you share a little bit your insights now beyond your specific product, your company, or like your approach to investing? What you think the most important trends are for this coming year and why?
1: So one one trend that I think in, in every area is, is interesting is the, the influence of, of artificial intelligence and how I would say also people that are experts in the operational world can Create or influence the systems, or even build them. I think that's a big lever, and I think this, yeah, is something that can also be really helpful in in mobility. Um, I mean, that starts, I would say, even with no code, low code tool, and this, I think, can be also a big driver for for profitability because, as I said, I mean, these events that we create, somebody needs to do something with them, and yeah, I think I I wouldn't say I have the the crystal ball and I I would say most and, and that's also something that I I really like about Inverse is that we work with so many creative entrepreneurs that have a lot of ideas and that use our technology as as a foundation. But where what I do see there is is this blurring of lines between different business models and and the, the, there are no hard boundaries anymore between them. Obviously, electrification is a big trend. Also, if I look at at our um, portfolio, yeah, number of vehicles.
0: When you mentioned AI in the beginning, I mean, it's like now on the Gartner hype cycle, kind of coming quickly to the peak. And then the question, of course, what's in it for us? Like, do we need to do something here in our industry? But also how to get started. So I think, I mean... Hopefully everyone's played with ChatGTP by now, and it's astonishing. You can. I asked ChatGTP um, for the typical vehicle sharing operator PNL and what that breakdown is, and what it thinks why there's profitability gap and so on. And even asked it for how AI would be used in shared mobility in the future, and it's amazing. We basically thought this would not work because it's kind of private information or it's not there yet. Like you can't search for it in the internet until the end of 2011 but it was a super qualified answer basically the breakdown of a typical operator PL in percentage maps to what we've also seen and it gives you the relevant qualifiers to say well it depends on geography on the type of vehicle da, 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 but typically this could be an average and so it's just a really intelligent answer that can accelerate me to when we write a blog post or when we talk about i don't know publishing something interesting but What's going to be the first very practical use cases, potentially? You talk about you're generating a lot of data points. There's maybe opportunity for operators to, I don't know, get more maybe into a kind of a co-creation using AI, maybe low-code tools somehow, maybe assumptions they have testing testing on that. But very practically, like this year, at, an oper- at a car-sharing operator, what might they start doing that they didn't do two years ago, for example? And what can you imagine or that you're already seeing maybe?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, this is just, I think, the, the outlook. I think it's rather the use of maybe no code, low code tools or being able to that people at the forefront of the operations can also build processes and, and automation tools to help their work and, and accelerate it and, and deal with the increasing amounts of data that they have at their hands and not needing for every step a software
0: developer. Mm-hmm.
1: And when we that think I think of the more immediate
0: impact. Mm-hmm. We're going in, we've done this in the past, we're doing it again also this year, basically dissecting operator P&Ls together with them, of course. Usually we don't have this data, we don't store their financial data, but together with them and Just look at kind of cost buckets, for example, that are maybe worth challenging that might not provide so much value, but that are bigger. And one, of course, the fraud that we touched on before, like unclaimed damages is super annoying, hopefully can be reduced. But another one would be like support volume, support tickets, cost of customer support and so on. And there, Mm -hmm. I also think maybe it's an opportunity to make, give um, give faster, more intuitive, more correct answers to users that they don't need to get from a human, from your help center. Because I think after JetGDP is now the internet until the end of 2011, but everything out there, some correct, some incorrect answers. Sometimes they have to disclaim us in the answer that uh, not to try this in real life. But like a next version soon, I guess will be to restrict what information this AI takes into account and integrate it into your existing products. So if we could say, we have a very extensive help center and yet for our customers, it's easier not to read up on it somewhere in the hundreds of pages, but send an email to us. We respond within hours. Unfortunately, there's this whole technical support team sitting here that could be also working on newer things instead of just answering what's already available somewhere in the documentation. Maybe there could be a first level of like an AI talking, but only knowing what we feed into at this specific part of our knowledge, basically. I think, uh, customer, like reducing fraud, reducing customer support, yeah, that's those for, areas.
1: For reducing customer support, I mean, that's also an, an area that yeah, we also see a lot of potential and I think where we still haven't reached the optimum that already starts. I mean, the best customer support is the one that, that you don't need it. Uh, and I think there's still too much. Friction or that can also be reduced by data when using a shared mobility vehicle. Uh-huh. And um, so, this is kind of also built in automation, and that's also something we, we think about now more structured in, in this, this really automated rental process, the start rental process, end rental, and for instance, to have more end rental conditions. So, to make sure that the user has closed all the doors and give direct feedback on the smartphone. I mean, that's the evolution of the industry. Everybody has now a smartphone and and, and you have the interface in your hands. But if you want to control, for instance, the door status, provide real-time, more or less real-time feedback to it, the vehicle needs to provide it. And you need to have a very robust communication channel to feed it to the smartphone to do this. So this is also then quite advanced, but I think capturing this and, and enabling a really robust, good user experience, I think this is also highly important. And because if you need customer support, it's it's, it's not good. It's already day-to-day. Yeah, day-to-day operations. And then a, a shared vehicle is really much worse than your own vehicle where you don't have these issues.
0: Right now, what we see, practically speaking, if there are some mistake towards the end of the rental cycle, for example, in some cases, at least uh, could be an overlay that I saw yesterday, for example, and it mentions a lot of potential causes. So likely the helmet box is not locked properly, or you might want to check the P status on the display or da da da. this was micromobility, mm-hmm. of course, again. Um, so it's kind of listing the most common areas, but it's not taking into account the specifics of your situation here right now. So yeah, and that could be a more kind of nuanced rules-based decision-making thing, just like build a tree, check everything. But it could also be like a self-learning process, of course, that if it had the opportunity to see what the cause actually was in the end, somehow, yeah, there's, yeah, make using uh, data either more fully or even in a self-reinforcing way seems to have a lot of potential. And for us, I think like as people in the industry, the question is kind of how to first get started, what to tackle first and what's, what are the lowest hanging fruits. It's really interesting. Who do you see as a company outside of the ones we already discussed that you are like running or investing and so on that people should also have on the radar that maybe kind of surprised you in the last months or so or that, that <laughs> is doing something new and different that you think is really helpful for this evolution of the industry?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I mean, we are based in Siegen and Cologne, so we're not really based into the hotspots, I I would say, of mobility. Okay. So um, I would say, I mean, what what I've noticed, um, yeah, just, I mean, but but this is also in in our industry, so – Last year, I also didn't have a, a car for a few months. And I, I was using shared mobility myself with also a family of three kids. Uh, and was reliant on it. And I was, uh, to, to, one, to some extent, really surprised also now how all these smartphone-based use cases work well. But you still have some instances where it doesn't, doesn't work. And I think fixing this um this was an insight that I, I got. But but I was also I mean with yeah for in for instance, Miles has now really good presence and, and so sort of this offering has been proven very valuable. That's yeah, by sort of being reliant on, on, on myself I, I really noticed. But other than that, in the industry
0: when you when we look at 2030 predictions and coming from the financial side, kind of like revenue, McKinsey charts, whatever, from earlier this month, for example, and they have updated their 2030 predictions, revenue, shared mobility, operator, and they say car sharing, micro mobility, hailing. And then car sharing is there at around whatever, 10 billion, micro mobility, 50 to 90 billion, and then hailing a huge range, but presumably 400 to 800 billion. You are coming, of course, from the enabling vehicles to be shared, automating the rental process. But what do you think about this like really more longer-term future mm-hmm. and a potential convergence even maybe of hailing and vehicle sharing? Because, I mean, in the end of the day, if you take your car-sharing customers of today and if their vehicles will eventually become, let's just assume that and people are divided about it, become autonomous, they are indistinguishable from a hailing service, basically. Volkswagen has, I believe, some ideas about putting autonomous capability into their vehicles at that point and charging it then per trip or per kilometer. It's like a feature that you can use or not. So I could see a car sharing any operator, not doesn't have to be run by Volkswagen, but using Volkswagen cars that you can just walk there and pick it up or you might have to pay a bit extra so it comes to you or also drives you where you want to go. Is that still the right idea if if McKinsey publishes 2030 numbers split by car sharing, hailing services, these categories? Or isn't that all going to merge? Or you don't believe in autonomous vehicles at all because everyone's investing and postponing their timelines anyhow? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. And and there, I would say, I mean, one interesting company to watch is is Vay. I think, Mm -hmm. in that regard. And I think also there, yeah. The question is, yeah, where is the line? And and uh, when when for instance, McKinsey talks about car sharing, I sometimes wonder what about rental. And and this is also totally going to yeah. merge
0: yeah.
1: more and more. And rental is a huge area
0: already and, today. Yeah, um,
1: and I think the beauty of um, and this was a debate. I mean, years ago, where the Google said, let's build autonomous from level five and, and shoot for that. Or the other approach of being more evolutionary, I think this more evolutionary approach, there seems to be, has, has, has also grown. And I think that's also the approach that I would see for car sharing and maybe starting with auto tailor operated vehicles that it, in some situations, and I think that's the beauty of it, You can you can do it sort of step by step. Initially do it with maybe rebalancing or delivering the car to the doorstep.
0: So way that you mentioned the product is, I believe, a tailor-operation for cars, putting sensors on top, having this operations hub and then being able to intervene and drive the vehicle. As a, I believe it's like tailor-operation as a service in a way. And they just received, I think, also licenses or renewed licenses to do this on the streets of Hamburg already now. And uh, you basically think, okay, that's an obvious like closer future step that could play a role here in shared mobility in car sharing, I mean, all of a sudden, the fleet size required to have the same service level could be much smaller if you can actually relocate if necessary. In, the, in, in this moment, if, when the booking happens, when the ISO eyeballs are basically on the app with interest. Is that somebody, you can, is somebody yes. already doing that, by the way, somewhere? I'm not aware of, but you might be, you have much broader exposure to also car sharing operators.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen this. I think there are a few companies that, that have this approach, but I personally haven't, haven't uh, seen it in action. I think there has been also a, a paper years ago by, by Car2Go. I mean, this this idea isn't new, that you have the vehicle which only then needs to drive 10 or 20 kilometers potentially, very slow, controlled. doesn't matter at what speed really it comes to my doorstep.
0: Except for the yeah. others who are like also Exactly that creates back. also
1: other <laughs> issues. But but I think what what I would see also more in the industry, and it's, you mentioned that the benefit of this model is that you can as an operator reduce fleet size. But I would also say you can you can increase the, the value to the customer. I mean you can then suddenly make car sharing really a superior model. Because for me that the well, as many people it's, it's not the pain point of actually driving the vehicle it's more getting to the vehicle looking after the vehicle and then when you have reached your destination what to do with the vehicle and if this can both ends can be taken away you just have the middle part of driving it i think this will be a, a gigantic step forward
0: i guess that's why hailing became so big in most parts of the world but it's those kind of working conditions maybe that are necessary To make it that affordable are not wanted in Germany. So that's why we don't have it. So if the car could just arrive at your door and be taken away, that's basically ride hailing and then Uber or Lyft in the US, but it's not gotten anywhere in Germany, for example, because it requires a certain driver profile and kind of probably very low wages in this kind of gig economy setup and it's just not wanted here. But this could be a more elegant tech-driven way to solve that basically.
1: And then the question, and I think this with a lot of innovation, what what I observe is it's it's hard to categorize this when things are you know so many moving parts, and oh, yeah. uh, so I think there will be a lot of in between, and maybe we'll talk about completely different categories when we have reached 2030. Yeah, and
0: Inverse was founded 30 years ago. You're celebrating 30 years this year, 2030 is. Only a small seven years in the future. So will the company be, by and large, like about the same? Of course, it's growing every year, but it's kind of recognizable. Notably the same, just bigger, or entirely different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's how we are set up. That we will also be there. And I think in this industry, you need to do something for it. You need to continuously reinvent uh, yourself. And if I mean, that's always yeah really interesting. so if, if you look into the future i mean you see okay a lot of things also need to happen and to work on if you look back uh how where we've been seven years ago i mean there has been a lot of progress so we are now 170 people and i yeah i mean the, the hope is that more the shared mobility also with new trends and with for instance also oem delivering certain features X-Factory, the, the threshold to offer and run these services um, uh, profitably, profitably becomes lower. And we talk about a much bigger bigger fleet volume and, and inverse, probably still a big part of it, but I think could also probably be even a more specialized player in, in, in this value chain.
0: All right. Well, lots of optimism coming from you today, um, I must say. And that's probably very well-founded. I believe there's a ton of like, potential still to improve the systems, to grow it more. And overall, market research always would say we're still at the beginning, even in your case, your company's case after 30 years. So thank you for sharing some insights, some observations with us today. The fraud, fraud detection technology, I think everyone should check out. Valu, Kavalu. And yeah, thank you for spending the time with us today. Hope to see you around in person soon.
1: Yeah, thank you, Gunnar.